And now, Kyle and Steven present another episode of the Go F*** Yourself podcast. Um, it's Fix. Really? Well, that's embarrassing. The Go Fix Yourself podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Go Fix Yourself podcast. Sitting with me is Stephen Cornfield. Hello. And we have a very special guest today in the form of Chris Constant. He's an Anchorage Assemblyman. How's it going? Doing great. So glad to be here, gentlemen. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for coming, dude. I know. You've been on our list uh, to have on this podcast for... Since since, the beginning. Well, before we even started doing guests. Yeah. Because like back in the day, like when me and Kyle were brainstorming, we were like, okay, well, we want to have guests on someday. Who do we want to have on? And so we made a list of probably about 20 names, and your name was, was five on that list. Them. It was five times. <laughs> yeah. <You're laughs> like, gotcha. Your list was, uh, yeah, right right up with everybody else. <laughs> yeah, so we typically start the podcast with Stephen's mom is our most avid listener. Yeah. She's our number one fan. She has been since the beginning, and she doesn't think her son has any friends. <laughs> And so we started the podcast to highlight that Steven is not a loser. And so we basically have the person tell themselves to Carol, who's over in New York, who you are, what you're doing currently. And then we kind of start from the beginning. Where in New York? Upstate. Upstate. Okay. Yeah. Rochester Corning area, if you're familiar. No, I've been through. What? Oh, yeah. That's a kind of, I mean... It's funny because we had a buddy who like lived, you know, 20 minutes from where I lived. And I'm like, I didn't know this. And then other people are like, oh, yeah, I've been in Rochester. I've been at Corning. I'm like, oh, been, what? Well, so I drove my sister to college when she went up to Ithaca and then headed up to Maine for the so rest you, of the summer, stopped oh, in wow. New York. And also chased the Grateful Dead around a couple times and the ended up in head. Buffalo. And so. Oh, wow. So you really do know that area, oh, yeah. especially Ithaca. That's like. That I love Ithaca. Yeah. Cornell? Did she go to Cornell? Uh, no, my she went to Ithaca College. Oh, okay. Theater it's, major. It's pronounced <gasps> Colonel. <laughs> so, dude, Ithaca is such a cool little town. I love it. I ate at the Moosewood Lodge. I don't know if you know the Moosewood Cookbook, but mm. oh man, is it good? Well, it's like old hippie vegetarian cookbook, like the broccoli forest. It's all. It's a whole thing. Oh, sign me up, man. I'm a big foodie. Yeah. I'm a big, big food guy. Um, okay. So yeah. What, what do you do now? What do you, how do you know? And we'll get to the nitty gritty in a minute. Yeah. So, you know, right now, this very moment, I'm kind of working three jobs <clears throat> and a, and a fraction of a job. So I serve on the assembly as the vice chair, been there now for going on six years, this April, a month from now and standing for reelection right now. The election is April the 4th. So on top of that job, which is attempting to govern this city, I'm also campaigning for re-election to the city, which is also a pretty full-time job. Yeah. And then for the last nearly 12 years, I've served at a nonprofit, which I help direct strategy, write grants and contracts, negotiate funding, and do things along those lines. And that's the high season for that job too. Plus on the side, in referral, I have a real estate license that I do just a tiny bit of real estate business. Annually. I saw that. I, Slow that was, down, dude. You're I know. making the rest of us look bad. <laughs> yeah. That was oh. surprising. I was like, okay, I know he's very heavily in this and this. And then I was like, real estate? Yeah. Oh. Well, but mostly that's on yeah, referral. Yeah. It's like on the back burner. As soon as I got elected to the assembly, it just became too complicated to try to do that work and the policy work. 
For sure. And so yeah, it makes sense. Serving on the assembly, uh, we've had Forrest on here in in the past, and he kind of shed some light on that whole uh, position. But like, how many hours a week would you say that kind of position would take? Like, is that it, a oh, part time job, <laughs> full time? Does it change? Yeah, it has a rhythm. The year? There's yeah. a rhythm to it. And during the election season, it's high. During the budget season, it's high. Sure. Uh, during kind of the early part of the year, it's pretty high demand because you're getting the ballots questions and all the election questions ready. Mm. And um, But the job doesn't ever actually end. You go sure. to the grocery store and six times you have to stop and have a conversation, which is a joy a lot of the time. Sometimes <laughs> it's it's tricky. Yeah. 87% of the time it's good, right? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the roommate calls it going to the dog park because everybody's got to stop and say hello. Oh, yeah. And so, um, but... Yeah, it, it ranges probably between about 30 hours to about 60 hours. Just depends on the oh, week. Jeez. Yeah, because yeah, I think I've always just had this vision of it. It's like, oh, these guys just like show up for the meetings, you know, maybe two hours a week or something like that. Just no idea how it right. all works. Mm -hmm. And you just think, oh, there's an assembly meeting. That's probably the only time they kind of address some things. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then I was like, that's a little probably uh, short-sighted for what they actually are doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, the, the, I call the meetings the show. Right. Right. So when you get to the show, ideally, hopefully you have all the work done mm -hmm. so that it goes smoothly and you get through the business because the business has to get done. Yeah. Uh, but then there are work sessions and committee meetings and there are meetings with constituents and meetings with the administration and the various departments, depending on what you're working on. Then there are community council meetings and then there are just going for a walk and everyone wants to say hi, which again, yeah. I love it. It's a good thing. Uh, it just takes time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we were, we, we saw you out at the medium build show uh, and we were like, oh, Chris, hey, we were just talking about you at What dinner. a great show that was. Oh, that was so pretty good. good. Yeah. I love that. So I, I have Nick's endorsement and I'm really grateful he's going to play an after, after election party. You know, oh, when he's what? back from his tour, so I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, I love that. That's great. Oh, I want to. We're gonna. We need deets. We need it. Uh, you will be invited. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, I love that. Um, no, so we're excited to have you on just because I feel like uh, we've been big fans of yours, watching from afar. Uh, I don't know if you know this that you your campaign was actually the first campaign I ever donated to, like literally. Um, this entire very life. grateful. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm just like I was like I want. Chris to succeed. So it's been fun watching you like from afar and I'm not one for getting into politics. I haven't talked about my politics. I think, uh, growing up, um, I was always like, Oh, politics bad. You know, I don't want to talk about it, but I think now I'm starting to embrace that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of guys like you and Forrest and, you know, there's a bunch of other people I could name, but those are the, you know, you're on our podcast now. Forrest was on our podcast a while ago. And just like, I think you guys, I'm just like, oh, they're cool. Like, I like that. And there, you guys t are speak your fucking mind. Yeah. And I love that too. And I'm like, ooh, I like that. And so it's inspiring. Um, and so basically, we, you know, we're very curious how you got to where you are today. Um, because, you know, how do you get to like the assembly? What's, I mean, of course, everybody's got a different path along life and, you know, where they are. Yep. Um, but like, how did how did you get there? Like politics was that something you've always been interested in politics? So that's a it's a great question, and uh, I never caught your mom's name, Carol. Carol, hey Christopher here. Yeah, your son is lovely, and I actually Aww. met him when Kyle and his buddy here 
uh, they opened Cut and Caliber. Yeah, and yeah. They had a that great was business downtown, and way I was just long ago in love. Yeah, with that whole thing because it's what Anchorage needs, even still now. Anyhow, I'm so, trying to get the vagina to this guy. I'm just, it's still in need. Yeah, they, I, like still, that. I, like, I like the little. We still nudge. need good-looking people <laughs> yeah. in our city, yeah. or people uh, who care for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. People who yeah. pay attention. And to our the products details. made you good-looking. Yeah, so it's right. just Magic. a win-win. That was like so. one of our actually our marketing was like, <laughs> do you want to be attractive? <laughs> Like, we might be able to help. <laughs> yep. No, we can. <laughs> yeah. 100% right. or your money back. Yeah. So let's go back. You know, aperture on a camera, depending how wide that aperture is or narrow, further you can see. Right. So let's tighten it up a little bit and see far. So I got my real start in policy in high school. I was one of those nerds who didn't go to football or soccer camp. I went to leadership camp. Oh. And I was part of city government, but not elected. I just was kind of in service in the school, helping out in the various projects of the, of the student government. But I went to an organization that was called the California Association of Student Councils. And they were very avant-garde for their time in that they had fought and created a position at the state uh, board of education that had a youth voting member on it. And then there were 21 regions in California, because such a big state. Each of the schools were members of this, and they all went to their regional meetings every year and set up policy proposals and worked collectively. And then I went from that process into learning how to facilitate those kinds of conferences and help young leaders become leaders, mm. e emerging leaders become leaders, and actually spent time in the hills above San Jose before Silicon Valley really blew up because I'm old enough and uh, was in kind of those spaces where those avant-garde people were helping to create ideas for the future. And I started there, I would say. But then I went on a journey, I left school, graduated, barely. I was most involved, voted by my, my graduating class my junior year. And by my senior year, I'd found <laughs> Timothy Leary and tuned in, turned on, and dropped out because I just didn't really fit. I was mm -hmm. different. I was gay. I was, it was a different world. People were dying. I lived in the city that was directly in the middle of LA and San Francisco and north of me and south of me, 200 miles every day. There were 50 men dying. It was a scary time. And so I just checked out and went on an adventure and chased the Grateful Dead around the country. <laughs> I love that. A couple summers. And so, oh, I love this that. This started your senior year? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah, pretty much. I could show you pictures. Yeah. And, um, then when I came back, I entered the community college system in my kind of newly adopted hometown, 40 miles from where I was born, San Luis Obispo, Cuesta College. And I made a great group of friends. I, at the time, was a poor kid trying to make it my way. College was free, basically $60 per year or per semester for an entire semester of classes. Wow. But then by the time I graduated, it was $2,000 a semester. Mm. I was at the time when the free education went away. But I went through Cuesta, went to Cal Poly, which was a great education and yep. quite an experience. It, it informs almost everything I do today, which is interesting because I got an English degree at an engineering and agricultural school. So how does that work? Well, yeah. I actually spend my days helping communicate between engineers, road people, Policymakers, right. like, and, and I learned how to connects. write between them and be the bridge. And so, in some ways, one class, technical writing, in you know, 1995, probably set me on the path most that I'm on today, helping people understand across bridges and across boundaries. So, 
Fast forward, in 97, I moved to Alaska. I had come up in 95 fishing and had one of those classic experiences. I went out on a 36-foot boat called the Melmar out of Kenai Wards Cove and spent two grand to get up here, and I made $1,000 in a bus year. <laughs> All right. And so uh, it was very classic Alaskan story, and that was back when there were still trees on East End and Homer before oh, the wow. first wave of the beetle kill took them all out. Oh, wow. So I fell in love with Alaska, even though I lost my financial tail that year. And when I graduated, I just decided to go to D.C. actually for a job for six months and actually hated it. D.C. was not what I was made for. It really? felt pretty mendacious where everyone was always asking you, what do you do? Mm, yeah. Essentially, what can you do for me? And uh, I came Kyle, up. Kyle does that to me all the time. <laughs> what can you do? What can you do for me? I have Kyle, some, you know, <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah. I have some ideas. <laughs> um, so I decided to come up for the holidays that year. It was 97. And I came up on Western Pacific Airlines. Okay. So that was what became Frontier. Uh, so flew through Denver. And as I was pulling out of the gate, I should have known something was going on. Mind you, 1997. There was a giant plane. If you Google Western Pacific Bart Simpson, you'll see this plane. They had a plane completely painted with the Simpsons. Yep. And so as we're pulling out of the tarmac, about to leave to Anchorage, there is a 15-foot-tall Bart Simpson staring at me out of the plane next door. (laughs) (laughs) So I landed in Alaska. that's not a good omen, I don't know what is. As soon as I landed, two days later, they went bankrupt. There was no airline, no ticket home back to D.C., and I just looked around and decided this was it. I'm home. And that's the day I became Alaskan. It was December of 1997. Just like that? That was it. I was free. I graduated college. I didn't like where I was. I had friends and family here, small network, Um, my sister, my niece. And so um, that was it. That was the day I decided to stay, and I never looked back. In fact, I knew I was home. I worked up at a program called the ARCH program, which is a residential treatment center run by the Volunteers of America. And I can remember thinking of last week in the Northern Lights, um, seeing the Northern Lights for the first time at 3 in the morning, Mm -hmm. leaving the treatment center up on Highland Road, and the, the sky just... My mind exploded. Like, I yeah, I'd probably never leave this place. And so then I tried to make a life, worked hard in various jobs, the treatment center, a variety of work. And then I had some struggles. There were several years where my life kind of fell apart. I had worked at the Humanities Forum, which is actually in the building next door over there, and uh, the old train depot. And there was a, a pretty bad situation that happened where an administrative error happened where I was supposed to have health care. And it was for Rondi week, actually. It was this week. We had just finished oh, wow. carving sculptures and because I was on a snow sculpture carving team. And uh, we came in second place. And I went up and ate at the downtown deli, Tony Knoll's old deli there that's now Hot Quarter Grill, mm. when it used to look like a totally different place. <laughs> And I ate a bagel with some lox and onion on it. I went to bed, and my appendix blew up. And it turned out that my employer didn't file the paperwork for the insurance. Are you kidding? And I was basically $65,000 in debt. And the president of the forum at the time let me go. 
It was an utter disaster, a dark time where I lost the job, Oof. lost the ability to get a job. And so I started doing some consulting and fundraising work, which I'd been in fundraising. And I struggled for a number of years uh, because I was buried in debt and I had no way out and pretty depressed, gaining weight, just miserable. And it was 2008. So a couple of years later, I was actually walking in the University Lake Dog Park with my dog because I had a couple of dogs. And I kind of had an epiphany in the park, you know, like almost like a beam of light coming down through the trees, spoke to me and said, you need to do something with your life. Mm. And um, almost like lightning. And I was with my dogs and I actually decided <laughs> foolishly to run for office that year. And that was against Les Garrett as a Democrat. And I learned a lot of lessons in that, that year. Um, but one of them was not winning a race. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, I, you know, I was still kind of depressed, still miserable, still struggling. And I had my dogs. And every day I would go to the dog park at the University Lake because they needed to be walked. And so there was a park in my neighborhood. It's called Earl and Muriel King Park. And it's a park that nobody uses. It has a, in the summer, you can see a well-worn path that people use it tra to traverse across from C Street to Cordova. But the only use at the time were people having kind of drunken parties into the night, you know, people who were classically understood as homeless people. And um, so that summer, a woman named Eloise Okakok was in the park and drank herself to death. And sadly, it was the night before she was supposed to go into the, the treatment program that was out in East Anchorage. And it, it, it just dawned on me, when I needed to do something with that park. Mm. And I decided to start a campaign to put a dog park in my neighborhood where I could walk because I had driving across town to a park where, you know, thousands of people a day use. It's high conflict. Mm. It's far, expensive. It's busy. And so I just wanted to create a space where I could walk my dogs and let them off the leash to play. And so I reached out to the Parks and Rec Department and asked, how do I do this? And uh, Holly Spoth Torres, I don't know if you know Holly, but uh, she was working there at the time. And she said, uh, here's what you do. You need a site plan and you need to talk to your neighbors. <laughs> and so I decided to start an effort to do that. And if you know the lines in our town, downtown in particular, I lived at 324 East 9th, which was five houses into Fairview mm -hmm. from South Edition. And uh, there's a historic difference between Fairview and South Edition that's historic and profound and um, where it's... The, the haves and the have-nots, right? Mm -hmm. That dividing line goes back based in race and, and based in old historic real estate patterns. And so um, the closest park to my house was this Earl and Mural King Park. And Fairview has like five parks, right? South mm -hmm. Edition has like 50. <laughs> and I love both neighborhoods. So this isn't to be smart South Edition in any way. But I started to, to try to change that park's use. And... So I had to go to the council. I went to the community council in South Edition. I had to go to the council in Fairview. And the folks in South Edition were divided, 50-50. Hmm. And um, I mean, this is the first time I ever knocked on doors. Hey, I'm working on this project to turn this park into a dog park. Would you support me? Come yeah. to the council on this day. And when I was going to the Fairview council, 
it was like, these are my people, <laughs> you know, right. it felt like home. And in fact, I was able to persuade them to support my cause. But in South Edition, we fought, we brought everyone out. We had the public meeting and made the site plan. I could even share it with you someday. And uh, the vote was like 56 no's to 50 yeses. Now, at the time, I watched them cheat the people who are the opponents of the project by counting some people several times. And mm. the woman who was chairing the meeting actually brought a three-foot-long claw hammer as her gavel. It was quite a thing to witness. Sounds a lot like Anchorage. <laughs> it was it quite a thing on to brand. witness. Some good training, right? Yeah. So why wouldn't they want that? Why was there a no to the dog park? So, they hate dogs? They well, hate dogs. <laughs> there, there was a wealthy patrician family who lived pretty close to the park. And they decided that they would rather have that park be green space with people okay. using it in the way that they were, which another woman that summer died drinking in that park. Oof. Just a tragedy that could have been resolved by bringing a positive use. And um, so they spun it up that I was an outsider mm. trying to come in and ruin their neighborhood, right? Which is so funny because yeah. it's like five lots outside across that historic red line. Yeah. It, it was an amazing pattern to witness firsthand. Right. And so, but I also realized you don't run a project that has a 50-50 divide through a neighborhood because in the end, it's not going to solve problems. It's going to create problems. Mm, sure. And so I learned quite a bit there. What I also learned was it's harder to get a dog park in your neighborhood than to win a seat on the assembly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that process taught me that my perspective was a little bit skewed because while I did want a, an off-leash fence dog park in my neighborhood, I could walk my dog to, which coincidentally now there are several in this town. Mm -hmm. So the project wasn't a loss, right? It set the table you for the a pioneer. number of other projects. <laughs> but I also realized that we have people dying in our streets. Sure. Yeah. You know, my my mental awareness just became crystal clear that there are bigger issues at stake. And mm -hmm. so I had to begin working on that, which is really the issue that brought me to the table of working in my community to try to resolve issues relating, A, to the homelessness that we have just happening in our streets, that people are drinking, people are sleeping, people are dying in our streets. But also that we had a system of extremely bad policy. We, we had a, what I had come to believe was almost an apartheid ghetto, but no fences, where we had only one place in this town where homeless people were allowed. And that was around Third Avenue at where Beans Cafe and Brother Francis mm -hmm. were. Mm -hmm. And not only was it really the only place we were allowed, we set up white vans to pick people up from all points across town and then drive them there and then leave them there. Drop them off, yeah. And then there was this counter argument to that that happened that was well of course that's where the people are so we should provide the services there hmm. well the services are there so we should put the people there until you got to the point where it didn't matter how many people were demanding services in need, in need and vulnerable there the answer was always more there mm -hmm. and that is actually a cruel and terrible system mm. It's just a terribly cruel system because it it traps people and it destroys lives of the people who have investments in their lives and families down there. Right. And there's only so much carrying capacity a place has in terms of people wandering through and, and trauma and potential trouble and all yeah. of the things that come with a vulnerable population. And so I set to the task of helping Anchorage to understand that what it was doing was cruel and immoral. And... um. Interestingly, if you look, I was elected in 2017. In 2019, 
my very brave peers set forth a policy that said, from now on, we are going to distribute the services that people need across the community in a way that doesn't singularly impact one neighborhood to the benefit of others because mm -hmm. the people of Fairview were paying a tax that no one else had to pay and that tax was deteriorating mm. their neighborhoods and the suffering and the losses they were experiencing by people who had needs and were camping in the woods and were shopping in their yards effectively for chairs or for oh, whatever. Shit. One night I can remember on my block, every propane tank except the one that was chained down was stolen in one night and taken to a camp. And so, and again, that's not to come out against the folks who were camped because they're literally... For suffering and struggling yeah. and trying yeah. to stay alive. No, nothing else to do. Right. Well, trying to eat, yeah. trying to be warm. And so it became clear that we needed a wholesale revision of our social service network around homelessness, and the assembly agreed. And we, we set to providing substantial housing investments. This was kind of at the same time the mayor, or excuse me, the governor cut funding for shelter services. The mayor at the time declared a homelessness emergency. We reorganized the whole array, and we were preparing to buy hundreds of housing units. And then the pandemic happened. Right. And that whole system got scrambled. And what ended up happening was we created the biggest mass single shelter in the country, which was the Sullivan Arena, mm -hmm. which is a conversation that this community is struggling with now. But the assembly has been very consistent, and this is, thank goodness to them, and to the credit of their conscience, that they have kept their eyes on the prize, that we can actually solve the issue of homelessness if we can build housing, secure housing, convert mm -hmm. hotels to housing. Because in the end, housing is the end to homelessness. It's the only answer. Shelter is a crisis response. Housing is the way out. Anyhow, so all of that is the long way to say that I find myself in leadership on the assembly based on a life of experience, the desire to help my dog, meeting all of my neighbors, going to high school with the people that I did. And that's how I got my start in politics. Man, Ooh. I was going to say, there's so much to unpack. I know. <laughs> I want to go back. Um, I wrote some notes down because I like to keep notes as we're talking about. So there's a lot of things um, that came up for me. First off, I want to hear about Grateful Dead, dude. I mean, like, <laughs> let's talk about that. Um, and so let's touch on that. But also one of the things that we talk about a lot, because I think this is something as men, you know, we don't talk about much, you know? And so me and Kyle, we both kind of like try to gravitate sometimes the episode to a specific topic. And you mentioned that you were like depressed and you were stressed. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to like speak to that moment too, um, where like, how did you, you know, find yourself out of that? What brought you out of that? What did you do in the meantime to kind of keep moving forward? Because I, I, like I said, I think mental health is something we always, you know, we're like, no, don't, right. don't need it. You know, yep. everything's good. Everything's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like whatever. I'm not depressed. I'm just like sad right now. I'm just you know? really down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, no, I was down for years. Yeah. And you know, my method out or my method of coping in, I, I'm an artist. Most people don't know that about me. But, I did not. Um, I specific kind of art, all medium? kinds of art. So paint photos, not really photographs, but paints and sculptures and even installations oh, and parks. And um, 
stencils and spray paint. Depends on Anything. the mood. Yeah. But you know, this might sound a little cliche now because it's been so many years. But at some point, my canvas became my neighborhood and my community that I didn't oh, have time love to that. make this and that. But instead, I set to transforming my neighborhood into a place that was living up to its potential. And you can see a mural that I painted. It's kind of falling apart now on the backside of the Gamble cars. My friend oh. Kenna and I painted that. It's like, what, 50 feet long, 10 feet tall. Wait, which cars? Gamble, Gamble. Street. On the backside, though, tucked oh, into ghetto the cars. parking lot. It's called Ghetto Cars by a lot of people. I call it the People's Cars. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, I love that. I know what you're talking about. Yep. And so... Yeah, I made art and tried to connect through that and mm -hmm. um, and then did things, like just connected with my neighbors in the community. And that was truly the way that I found out of the disconnection. Because for me, I think that depression mostly came from disconnection. Mm. You know, being dislocated from my work, being, you know, sick, being physically sick, being sure. um, unable to make a living, you know, living in poverty— all of those things compound and make one feel pretty dark. And so I found my resolution through art. And I can share with you some little yeah. images of that. If I'd you love that. Yeah. Constant art. It's one of my Facebook pages. There's a hint of it there. Const yeah. You have a Facebook page? Yeah, it's hard to find, but it's out there. Oh, we're going to have to link to that yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. when we promote this. So. And one thing I always think about, like, when people are going through, like, dark times, like you just described, you kind of like, like, it was not even the curse of three. That was, like, five things that just kind of, like, went down. Like, what what did you feel like was the first step that you could actually take to it maybe improving it? Because I think mm -hmm. in that moment, a lot of people are just like, everything's gone wrong. Right. And I don't feel like doing anything at this moment. You just kind of Easy to focus on the negative. Well, sure. And there yeah. was there was kind of an epiphany I described in the park, and I really mean it. It was like a moment of clarity, which yeah, if you listen to the people who talk about the moment they move towards sobriety or the moment that change happened, there's a right. moment of clarity. Like for a minute, air is clear, my lungs are clear, and I can see hmm. bright and fresh and clear. And then it goes away. Right. Right? Yeah. And, but I have hope. And I realized that there was that clarity waiting for me. And so the secret for me, of course, and a lot of people, when you realize you're in a hole, is to stop digging. And so um, I started to figure out what was causing me to disconnect and isolate and be feeling away from connection. And then I started working really hard towards making art and making community and trying to be part of something bigger than me. And it was in that process of trying to connect, which literally led me to knocking on my neighbor's doors to try to find a place where I could take my dogs to walk. Yeah, yeah. Instead of having someone dying in the park closest to my house, it was that work that lifted me up. Yeah. I love that. Because I feel like, I mean, uh, you could have e easily, I mean, you know, stayed inside, not done anything, focus on yourself. But you were like, no, I'm going to focus on what's around me, who's around me, my community, my dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that's kind of a cool thing. Like you like, you know, motivated yourself to get out, knock on doors because, and that can be one of the hardest things. I mean, hell dude, ever since the pandemic, man, my, my introvertedness has like overtaken my extrovertedness. And so I used to be like, get filled up by like going out on the town, having a few beers, checking what it's out, you know, what's up. Uh, and now I'm like, 
I don't want to even leave my house. Same. And so like knocking on, I don't even know my neighbors that uh, well. You know what I mean? And <laughs> right. so knocking on my neighbor's doors and being like, hey, let's have a conversation <laughs> real quick is like scary as fuck to me you know, yeah. right now. Um, and so I think that was, that's a really cool thing that you were like, all right, fuck it. Let's, let's do this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change things. Um, well, and, and I tell you, it introduced me to so many of the profoundly interesting people in my neighborhood, the historic people yeah. and my the close neighbors were my friends already, but it you know spanned twenty five and thirty blocks where I have pins in the map. These are my people. I would right. say, and and as like a politician, I, w- I would imagine that helped kind of like you know you were because door knocking is a huge thing that you guys do. We talked to Forrest, and like basically, I made a little video for him as he was door knocking, right? Right, and so it's like a big thing, and so I would imagine that like kind of taught you to you know how to approach the door or how to approach the conversation when you're approach strangers talking. That. <laughs> approach strangers. But then also like you're meeting people that are potential voters. You're meeting, you know, people who are could potentially do the same thing you're doing. And mm-hmm. so it's motivating other people to potentially do that same thing. Well then that's an interesting thing to put a pin in like the future. Not my future, but the future of the the honored seat that I have the opportunity to sit in. Like who's next? How do we grow the future? And a good Kyle's next. A good uh, leader is always starting with how do I build my replacement? Who's who's coming behind me? How do I plow the field so that the people who pick up the plow when I'm done have something to work with because it was plowed when I got here? Yeah, that's like the heart of the work. Right. Yeah, that's something that I. I mean, I think is. It's kind of like as a dad, you think about that too. It's like replacing your kids are going to replace you. And so you're trying to leave somewhat of like mm-hmm. a, not legacy, but like you're trying to train them up to be a better version of you mm-hmm. and in hopes that they transfer that to their kids, et cetera. And so I've never even thought about that from a leader standpoint, but it makes a lot of sense because you yeah. have to train the next one of whatever position that's going to be. And that's interesting. And it's a whole community and a yeah. whole field, right? It's not beyond the role, the job, whatever. But yes, that's the work. That's yeah. what we're here to do. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, your time is finite. And yeah. so it's like you got to, if if you see beyond yourself, then you have to look down the road so many years that are going to be beyond your timeline. Yep. And in fact, in this job, I have come to understand the best things that I'm working on. I will never see come to fruition. Right. Ooh. You know, like the, the yeah. last year... Two years ago now almost, we passed a recognition of all Alaska Native tribes in our Anchorage Municipal Code. Mm-hmm. And we did that before the state. Like, we led the state to that process where they recognized the sovereignty of the sovereign people of this land that are here first and the stewards of this land. And um, I believe that the true fruit of that recognition will happen much later. Much, much right. later. Mm-hmm. Because we've been on a trajectory with the Native people of our land for you know, 300 to 400 years. Yeah. And we're turning a wheel that is so big and profoundly yeah. dis- Anyhow, it's there, profoundly inspiring to think about, but yeah. it's well there, past our lives. There sure. is a lot of stuff. I mean, um, my wife is very vocal about this, you know, stuff on social media. So we talk about it a lot. And like, there is like, it's tough because sometimes you can see like things moving and you're like, oh, that's like, 
ah, it's tough or whatever. It's change. And sometimes change can be the scariest. But we were talking about this recently, which is funny that you mentioned it, but it's like literally we're like in 20, 30 years, our kids, their kids, like they hopefully won't have to deal with some of the shit that we're dealing with. And like, I was like, damn, I want to be there now, you know? So it's like, I want to skip to the end. But you're right. It's like, you know, hopefully we see a lot of change come to our city our our state our nation our world um but that we won't even see and i think that's kind of cool but you guys are like you know you're starting that you know that wheel mm-hmm. i like that i like that visual i'm a very visual learner and so starting that wheel where it's like it can be tough at first and like getting people on board but then like after, over time it gets you know greased up and then like it starts to move a little like faster an a little faster yeah and i love that i love that look that's the heart of this work because you know we do pass a budget every year but those of us who are in it, I think, for the right causes are always asking ourselves, how are our investments today going to affect the world, our community, the children, the adults that come mm. from those children for generations? Because yeah. we we just get so focused on the end of our nose, we can't see this whole beautiful, terrifying world we live in. Yeah, I I think with my very, very short stint in politics, one thing that was like pounded into me was that all politics is or all politics is local politics yes and essentially you know everybody's always obsessed with like presidential elections and like how it's changing the world and the world's gonna go downhill because a republican got nominated or a democrat and it's like well you gotta kind of zoom back out into Mm. your own area and what you can affect with school boards and assembly and all these things that are local that affect the big picture and i feel like that's something that so many people get just obsessed with is Who's president? Right. And you it's know, like, just that doesn't... Week, yeah. I had that conversation with somebody who is a new dad. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I've never followed politics in my life. Right. But suddenly I'm becoming aware of it because mm-hmm. it's happening all around me. Right. I'm like, you know what? That's the school. It's your kid. It's like, how do we fund your school? How does your kid get educated? Yeah. How does your neighborhood, all of those kids... This happens because of your local government. Right. And because of the taxes we are willing to pay to fund our schools, right? And that, I think, is the path for most people to care. It's right. like, damn, my kids, if I don't do something, something bad's mm-hmm. going to happen, and I'm not going to let that happen to my kids, so I'm getting activated. Yeah. That, that. Yeah, that's something that I've come to realize the last few years because I was one of those people that was just like, all I care about is election night for the presidential election every four years, and we'll— will judge our anger on who's elected. And then I was like, oh, there's so many things that I should care about more locally. And it it was eye-opening, I would say, in my mid-20s because it took me that long to even figure out half the things in politics. I'd say that's early. (laughs) uh, Maybe, yeah. yeah, I'd say that's early. You're doing good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's one thing. I I think we need to touch on the Grateful Dead aspect because we need to go back to that because there's not a lot of people in high school. You know everybody listening was like, (laughs) wait, you just skipped over tracking them. Yeah. You went on what? You were groupie? Roadie? No, deadhead is what they call it. Deadhead. um, Yes. Duh, Steven. Yeah. Yeah. Damn uh, it, Steven. So, (laughs) God damn it, Steven. Edit it out. (laughs) Edit it out. Oh, right now. <laughs> so I had a friend, a lady friend. Her name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth, we called her. She was a bit older. She was from Vermont, and um, she gave me a record. And oh. I put that record on, it. and I put the headphones on, and I heard a sound that was like the sound of my soul. 
Mm. And it connected so deeply, like I had no idea, but I had to find this thing. And I had to see it and understand it. And um, it's funny, I took my roommate to see one of the final acts of The Grateful Dead. And my sister is another one who, some people, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Sure. Mm. And um, like truly, like they just, it's its almost horrifying to you Did you like it? <laughs> Sorry, talking to the roommate. He's in the room, F- FYI people. Did you like it? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it's an acquired taste it for is. some. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Is. I get it. But if you hear it, like it just it grabs you in a way that there's nothing else like it. And so I was 16 at the time, and me and about six friends decided we were going to hitchhike 240 miles or 220 miles from Santa Maria, California to Mountain View, California, where Shoreline Amphitheater is to see the Grateful Dead. And I got like 40 miles from home. And all my friends chickened out. Oh. And we had hitchhiked that far already. They're like, we're going home. And I'm like, I can't. I have to go. Are you kidding me? You got that far? And so then I just stood there on the side of the road with my thumb out. And damn, if a car, a little um, Honda, or no, Toyota Celica with four people in it pulls up. Celica is a small car, especially in the 90s. (laughs) And they're like, hop in. We're going. And we have a ticket for you. And uh, so we're like driving up the highway 200 miles to get to the show. And the magic started that night. And I never looked back. And that summer, no, I guess it was the next summer I'd graduated high school. And uh, I had some friends and we bought a van together. And we just decided we were going to drive around the country and see concerts and be hippies. And we did. That's awesome. It sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. It just is the beginning of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It sounds like the beginning of like a a beautiful friendship movie. It started at Neil Young's house. (laughs) Okay. Real? What? Yeah, it started at Neil Young's house in the Bay Area and like Los I love how Gatos. You just, uh, just dropped that name. Yeah, yeah, no, Let like me for pick real. That name up really quick. Yeah, for yeah. So my 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 best friend at the time, his sister was the nanny for Neil Young's kids, and so we spent the night, two nights actually, at his little compound. Wow, was he there? Yeah, oh yeah, he what? was not. He wasn't happy we were there, but he uh, was there. He's driving around in a convertible car on his country roads on his estate with his hair blowing back. It's quite a scene. Hell yeah, hey, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> but from there we drove all the way up to Oregon and then across the country to Minnesota. And then lots of details in this story that were not fit for television. But um, I ended up meeting some guys and went with them to Maine and spent the summer in Maine Mm. and then, you know, made my way home and then decided the next summer I had to do it again. And it just was a love affair of friends and people and music and big, wild circus of life. So instead of summer camp... You were just hanging out <laughs> with Grateful Dead camp. Grateful Dead. I, I, I hitchhiked across the country with no job and no money as a poor kid and Damn. proved to myself that I could survive and thrive and made it across and worked and had fun and made friends and still have friends from that time and made it home and realized that it didn't matter what the circumstances were, I could survive and have a good time. And that, oh, yeah. and that was between 16 and 18? 17 and 19. Seven. Yeah, 17 wow, and 19. damn. It's like I, I try to think back to being that young, and I did not I couldn't. No, there's no I way I would survive. Yeah. I, I would, can remember walking almost barefoot in Chicago. Like, good Lord, that is a big city. Oh, yeah. Wondering how the hell am I going to make it, but I always made it. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no way I feel like... <laughs> 
<laughs> young. He's dead. 17. He's dead instantly. <laughs> I would. I would have. Yeah. No cell phones. Oh my you know, god. There's, no just, Google Maps. You were just on your way. You're just like yeah, take me north or basically. Wow, man. See that takes guts. I don't think I had when I was a kid. I was a vagabond. I was free. Yeah. Oh, I love that though because yeah. I like watched movies. <laughs> I was like, that's cool. I could do it. Freaking yeah. train hoppers, <laughs> it, it, you know, yeah, stuff I, like that. I did that a couple times. Oh, what? Yeah, I did that a couple times. I, 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 I fantasized that, like, that life, right? Like, I wanted that, but mm-hmm. I never, I mean, I was a, you know, young Christian boy. Right. And so I was like, there's no way, you know, I could leave and do that. So I fantasized <laughs> and wanted it and had it and then realized that's cool. it wasn't what I wanted. Isn't. But see, you know, there's there's a little at least you knew. There's a little like um <laughs> it was a Kerouac consistency. Moment. You were like, Oh, first off, that's a great book. Um, but there's a consistency, you did it, and then you're like, This isn't for me forever, but you tried it. Mm-hmm. Same with Washington DC. You said you did the same. You're like, I tried it, I checked it out, it just wasn't for me. Like, and then I got here and I knew I was home. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like, you know, um, I th- we've had some stories of similar of like people like trying different things like, oh, yeah, I tried this. I tried that. I tried this. And it's just like nothing made me feel the way that the thing I'm doing now is, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or where I am, where I'm located. Um, and I think that's kind of cool when you find that thing. Oh, I think uh, we relate to that because that's what Steve and I are doing. Right. Essentially, we're trying to, but we've tried yeah. several yeah. things over the past decade, 10, ten, years, ten yeah. years, and, um, you know, nothing felt like home runs mm-hmm. per se. Like there's been little glimpses of like, this seems right. And Ooh, then it's got a hundred views or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we did it. And so like, I feel like we love hearing stories mm-hmm. about people that do that because yeah. it's like, okay, we're, we're on the right path. We're just still got to keep grinding and trying different things that's right well it's, it's like the it, i mean to piggyback off what you're saying it's the we're in this together there's like we're we're all we're all fucking trying to figure this shit out mm-hmm. it's like no one not even like one person has it all figured out no right i mean None like of us. like i can look at you know someone in you know as a filmmaker i can look at steven spielberg and be like he knows exactly <laughs> how he you know what he's doing no he probably he, like he didn't know he's got a rough idea and then yeah. you watch like the jaw well now he does <laughs> yeah. but like Jaws documentary. He's like, I might, I'm gonna quit. Like he was like literally there, and then, but he kept pushing forward because he loved it so much, and uh, and you know now it just kind of helped him through his life. So I don't want to talk about Steven Spielberg. I want to talk about you. Well, you know that moment, that time, it was literally finding a way to thrive in chaos, mm-hmm. right? Utter chaos, relinquishing control. The starfish that lets go of the rock to survive because the tide is going out. Mm. You know, the starfish that stays on the rock dries out. And I just went on this wild and crazy adventure, which is, I think about a lot in the last three years because the the moment that Anchorage went through and the world went through, it yeah. was a great unhitching of norms. And we saw chaos and we saw hatred and bigotry and we saw sickness and death and we saw government power. We saw all of these things happening. And people ask me, how are you able to do this and why are you sticking around this mm. time and i laugh because in some ways all of those wild things that i did that were existential and terrifying and liberating and fulfilling made it so that this moment was manageable right mm. and that through all of the chaos that was thrown my way and our way over the last three years I'm, i just find that i'm made for this moment i love that 
right? That's where I find that power is from that place that I was and all of those journeys that I went on, all that chaos. Yeah. That's, mm. uh, I mean, it kind of like almost calloused you for what you're going to experience later in your life too with that. Cause that whole thing that went down with, um, COVID and the assembly, and we talked to Forrest briefly about this, but I feel like you were one of the ones that got a lot of flack during that time oh, too. Yeah. And can you kind of walk through just like what, what happened essentially in those meetings and like where, why were people coming after you? Yeah. That was wild, dude. Yeah. That right. was real wild. No, it was. Watching that from the outside in, tremendous. I was like, fucking wild, dude. Right. No, and I'm super glad that we're really making our way through it and yeah. finding ourselves on the other side for the most part. Right. Um, so it depends on where in the, in the story you pick up what happened. You know, we, when Bill Falsey stood up in front of the city and said, we have an emergency and it's a national emergency and this is what we've been told. And he said, if we underreact, it's very likely that your neighbors will die. And if we overreact or react appropriately, it's likely that people will say, did we even need to react at all? Mm -hmm. yep. That was the beginning of a very intense conversation that happened over the last three years. And... You know, somebody asked me at a candidate forum roundtable with the chamber last week, somebody who I think was a fan of Dave Bronson, would you respond the same way now, knowing what you know, looking back? And my response, which I don't think she was very happy with it, was, yes, I would. Because based on the information that I had at the time, right, and looking back now, it was the right decision. And how can you answer that question with any sort of, I, I don't know. It's like, you're asking me if I know what I know now, would I respond differently? And it's, I I don't know. I because know. Because it's, you, I mean, you if do. I but were if people confronted ask those questions, with the potential for a wave of death, right? I would react in a way that protected life. Mm -hmm. Sure. That is baseline for me. And I know that now even more than I did before. Yeah. And so... That's where it started. And then, you know, I don't know if you remember that AK for AK concert that we oh, broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my concert. I organized that. I pulled it together. I worked with Showdown. They mm. produced it. and um, Showdown hired me to do a little video. Nice. For it. So, yeah, I worked on, I worked right? on it. I helped them raise I say the money. I worked on it, yeah. I had fun. Yeah, no, it was fun, right? It was, like, it was amazing. It was like go out at sunset while everybody's filming and then just like get behind the scenes stuff. It was amazing. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Right? And that was right here in May just after what we thought was the end of yeah. the pandemic, yeah. right? And it was the first time people got to connect. It's like May 2020? May 1, 2020. Yep. It was filmed April 28th, Yep. right? And so um, there was so much hope and optimism, right, at that yeah. time. Yeah. And again, art is an amazing vehicle to bring light to dark times, right? It was just a perfect mm -hmm. example of it. And that's in that, going back to this idea that I made my community my art, that was the only thing I could think of to do. And, you know, Ray and Helen and I just pulled that thing together somehow. It was amazing. Uh, but then the darkness turned into what I would call political cynicism, where some people realized that they could make a power move for themselves if they leaned into this anti-vaccine and anti-government moment mm. that started the career of the person who's temporarily in the mayor's office. And so um, it 
was amazing to see where we proceeded. You know, Austin, Quinn Davidson, when she served as acting mayor, did an epic good job. She was so great at being a steady hand in a time when the world was convoluting and twisting and turning. And there was no good direction. We had Trump in office and nobody knew which way was up. But in Anchorage, even though things had fallen apart, things were actually going pretty good. But with the end of the previous mayor, with the rise of the current mayor that we have now, there was a cynical group that decided they were going to use that angry faction for power, and they did. And they did by a very slim majority took over a profoundly powerful office, which is the mayor's office, and then set to breaking down every norm and every system that we have. And, you know, the the lowest of the low for me was when we are having a debate on whether the community should be required to wear masks. We have a very high rate of death happening in this town. Mm -hmm. And the excess death rates in the valley, the, the data has proven, were much higher than Anchorage. Those masks worked just doesn't matter what the deniers have to say. The, the data is there. So this mayor had, he had, here's an example. Just as these debates were rolling on, he left two binders on the table after a meeting, which is a public meeting. I went a up Trapper keeper. One it was like a trapper keeper. Like Velcro. 25 pages of our bond rating. Like it was the first time our bonds had been devalued in a long time. And so he had 25 pages. <laughs> then he had a binder a folder that had like three, 400 pages. And it was all on strategies to get people not to get vaccines, how to prove that masks don't work. That was where he was spending his time. Mm, and then when the debates were happening, this was September, October, 2021, he ordered the video feed to be shut off. Mm. He ordered security to leave he told the police not to respond if violence occurred in the chamber. And then his staff were rallying the angry people in the room. Mm. Think about that. That's no fabrication or exaggeration. That's what happened. And um, we stood against that. Yeah. yeah it seems like a, a, a cocktail for chaos at doing that. I mean... No security, no... Seems like an insurrection. Right. Yeah. He wasn't getting his way with policy. He wasn't getting his way following the rules. So he was going to smash his way through. Hmm. We weren't going to have it. Mm. And, you know, this assembly in a dozen ways since that time has stood and held the line against that kind of belief in the power that they have, which isn't the power that they have. In the end, the people of Anchorage have stood with us as a body and... Yeah kept with us. And we'll see what happens next month. Hopefully they continue to keep with us in proving that we don't stand for lawlessness, but instead we stand as a community together. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of a heavy, uh, like topic as far as like you guys were, you know, part of the assembly and you're basically going toe to toe with, you know, one of the, you know, the mayor, the, you, you, you know, and his, I want to say like, followers but basically his that's a fair description yeah I, but, his angry mob i would call it so, you don't have to call it that i will how how was it like in the room because you know me and kyle weren't there and i feel like a lot of people watching probably weren't there and so like what was it actually i don't know that you were like holy shit this is like not good or like yeah, this is turning, it wasn't good yeah i mean so like what was like the moment do you have like a moment where you were just like oh fuck so <laughs> I uh, hesitate to even mention this, but just today, somebody asked me, hey, who's this guy? Put a name out there. And I'm like, hmm, I don't remember. 
and um, Kyle Redding. Well, I never, was gonna never say. heard of him. <laughs> no, <laughs> what they said was he was just at this public meeting and said you had him arrested at an assembly meeting, and you were the reason he went to jail. And I'm like, oh, I know who that is. That's the guy who had the gun on his hip, who refused to declare it to the police when they asked him to leave the room because he had been disrupting the meeting. Mm -hmm. And so in his mind, he was arrested because of me. Uh, right? But no, yeah. he was arrested because he refused to tell the cops he had a gun. He had a gun on him? Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I got scared. And this happened in the past. In the room. Yeah. But he's still talking about it today. And so, um, you know, that's the practical reality of this. Or it was the December 2020 when they circled my home, blaring their horns, screaming, constant, you can't hide from us. We're coming from you. You know, we have all that on film. Oh, wow. You know, um, or it was, and this is like the saddest and most awful moment for me personally, when we were having those mass debates. And some some people I know think good riddance. And I don't. Um, I'm sad by this, but we had a meeting. It was the same mass debates. It was the first day of the mass debates. The room has as many people as we would legally allow it to be in there packed. Most of them are Bronsonites, no masks. And we knew at the start of that meeting that people who are in that room were going to die. Okay. We knew they were going to die yeah. because we were in the middle of a global pandemic that was making people sick. And it wasn't just abstract. It was real. And so this guy, this old curmudgeon named Paul D. Kendall stands up and you can see video of this. He says, constant, I always knew you were a cocksucker. But now I know you're a coward. And he turns around and plays to the room, cheers and screams and hand-waving. And 12 days later, that man died from the COVID he got in that room. Oh. Right? You, yes. You Google my name and the word cocksucker, and that story comes up. Yeah, that's... Around the world. Sydney Herald, New York Times, Times of wow. Israel, like around the world. That's, New York Times picked that up? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. We had the most unusual experience in the pandemic in the country. We didn't have the most critical incidents. Like there were places yeah. where people got killed. So those were more extreme. But as a whole, our experience, if you ask law enforcement, if you talk to the national organizations, our experience was unusual. Is that because we were just so like divided on masks or no masks? And or... isolated and dark. And yeah. I mean, just so many reasons. Mm. Yeah. Is there a part of you that like, I remember that whole thing just going on and it was just like every day it's a discussion about who's right, who's wrong. Is there part of you that tries to to almost empathize with the other side on their kind of thoughts? Be like, why do they think this way or what? I mean, I don't think there's any excuse for surrounding your house and, and threatening you. But there's a reason these people feel obviously incredibly Valid validated well they feel threatened for some reason i mean fear if you told me i was going to go to somebody's house and and threaten them <laughs> it would have to be something quite drastic right. that i would feel the need to do that Kyle's so, done it to my house yeah well but a couple times. probably had a come <laughs> yeah. yeah it's more like steven <laughs> you're the best no it's never <laughs> so like what I, you got to put yourself in their mind sometimes to try yeah. to figure out what, what they're thinking. After three years, it became really clear. You had people who were manipulable. Right. And you had people that were willing to manipulate them for power. Yeah. And really, that I boil it very much down to that. And, and there was a lot of money to be made in this time as well. I mean, there was 
uh, I mean, blogs. There's all sorts of things that fired up that yep. certain people Ad were able revenue. to well, right that that capitalized on, and I think made a very good chunk of change over this period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's like it it is sad. Some of those places were the places that had the scariest death threats of them all that we received. Mm. You know, like I generated a very strong relationship with law enforcement because of that experience, because sure. I had to share with them, hey, this is what they said today. I don't know if it's actionable, but you guys should know. In fact, there was one time when my neighbor comes up to me and walk my dog, and she says, hey, why did you put a camera on the tree in front of your house pointed mm. at your door? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, And take me there. And so she walks me to a tree no, where there's a way. game camera, a camouflage game camera pointed at my door. In that equation, my roommate and I are the game. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. To keep tabs on you. Something. Yeah. Or, yeah. So that game camera definitely came down, and so did my trips to the range go up. Right. You know? Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I mean, no, that's the, the thing. What is it like with all this stuff, uh, like negative, you know, uh, people surrounding your house, the game camera, death threats? What is it that keeps you. <laughs> At it, right? Keeps you fighting. It gets back Putting to this. Still the toe to toe, you know, on a mission. Yeah, and I was made for this moment. That's all I can come back to. Is like I realized that this is the moment that I was born to be in, mm. and I'm not going to turn away from tyrants. I'm not going to turn away from lies. I'm going to confront them, and you know, my peers. The reason I was able to get through it was my peers. Sure. And you know, there's a little bit of sadness that I have going into April. No matter what happens in the election, five new members, right? And so that means we have a new assembly coming, and uh, the people who I've bonded with through the traumas and tragedies of the last three years, we're breaking up. It's the fellowship of the ring, right? Right. Yeah. The fellowship is about to break up. And and uh, it, it's very sad. Like, there have been tears already among us as members. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just sad. Uh, but also, it's good because what I look forward to is the day we have a post-pandemic government, which is the day there's no longer this mayor in office and the day that I'm off the body in three years, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right? At that point, everyone who's on the body will have started after won't be part of it. People, I I talk with friends in the military and they joke at me that there are wartime generals and there are peacetime generals and that it's time for peacetime leadership to begin, right? right? And I actually look forward to that happening and I see it in the new members coming forward who are like, yeah, let's, why are we talking about this stuff? Let's actually talk about what's important to our governance, which is like making our neighborhoods safer, more walkable, making sure that our schools can have buses that can yeah. get there and our roads are plowed and our sidewalks are working. You know, let's get yeah. back to that struggle yeah. because that's the work, right? And I have a, a hat that I joke when the mayor was first inaugurated. I got him one and myself one and Suzanne one and his wife one. It said, make Anchorage boring again. <laughs> you know, and I don't mean Anchorage as a city and, and its people and life. Life should be exciting, but our government should be boring. Right. It shouldn't be exciting. And I just pray for and look forward to the day when people are like, oh, the assembly, how quaint. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, <laughs> the, not the best show in town, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's what they say. Like, a good marriage is usually boring. Right. You know? There's not a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm trying to live that each day. I'm yeah. a super fan of boring. <laughs> I Who mean, uh, that's my middle name is boring. So. <laughs> Should we tell your wife that? Listen, Kyle's, Kyle's on the podcast. Kyle's really 
thinks you're boring. He really so. wants to have a boring life with you. I don't know. You know, uh, boring is beautiful. I have come to learn. Yeah. I don't, I don't need excitement. I make the excitement get on the back of a mountain bike or, you know, hit the trails or see a moose or a bear. Yeah. It shouldn't be your government. Yeah. It should just work quietly in the background, like your computer or your, your dishwasher. Mm. Do you find yourself having trouble having like normal conversations with people in general? Because in the back of your head, it seems like you're very driven by like making your community better and all these issues that you want to tackle so if somebody's like you know oh my back hurts you well you know what else hurts is the community <laughs> when no, we no. Don't, <laughs> you no. know it's never like that uh. you know i i find it's it's challenging um i have become less social mm-hmm. right and it's not like a form of depression i'm quite in a good space i'm happy and my life is filled with love and good people and support and good dogs and neighbors and fitness and but I don't crave to go out. I don't crave to go find anything. If it's a nice day out and I can go on my mountain bike again, I will. But I no longer go out looking. And um, when people come in, I embrace them uh, mostly. Sometimes it's like, I got to go. But right. uh, I don't actually go out all that much because it's like going to work. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, being at home, peaceful with a small group of friends, five, six people. Last night, Cards Against Humanity is with the neighbors I worked oh, yeah. out with, you know, and uh, that was an exciting night for me. Just enough. I don't need to go out to a booming place. In fact, I'm old enough, heard enough concerts in my life, a little hard of hearing. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> when I get in a loud, crowded room, I can't yeah. hear the conversation. It's like, uh, let's go outside so we can talk. Right. Because this does nothing. I'm like staring at lights and, you know, not having a conversation. Let's get out of here. Right. What what did you say? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so in some ways, I'm just happy to have my simple life. It's beautiful. Yeah. And the work is demanding though. You know, I'm yeah. at City Hall three days, four days a week, late night meetings, couple nights a week, sometimes at least twice a month minimum. You know, late. You know, yeah. until midnight. And um, midnight's late now. <laughs> hey, that's late for me. Bro, <laughs> yeah. midnight is late for me. Right. That's the, the, the best part of our charter in the municipality. It states that the people are immune from the actions of the assembly after midnight. Oh. Which means nothing we can do. Changes. So go home. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what that, because they used nice. to meet until five in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God, terrible, Sober, right? Bad government happens oh, yeah. at three in the morning. I'm sure bad so, government kind of happens at midnight. You're tired. You can't really keep track yeah, of it all. straight. What, I feel I feel like at midnight, I'd be like, all right, let's bust the whiskey out. Let's go. <laughs> let's just go. Yeah. Let's make some laws. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want Kyle on the assembly. I am not supposed to be a politician. No, people laws. are immune at midnight. It's yeah. yeah. 11.59. Hurry up, guys. Hurry. Wise, hurry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how how much would you say that, like, do you have a pretty good sleep schedule? Are you a good sleeper? I don't sleep. Awful? Yeah, yeah like, I don't okay. sleep. So I actually have a tracker. It's called a whoop. Oh, yeah. 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 Kyle, I whooped Kyle it. Was whooped it. Yeah. <laughs> Whooping. And yeah. Um, <laughs> it tells me I get 70% of the sleep I need. Mm. And, uh, like, consistently 70%. But I'm not tired from that. I wake up. Alert. Yeah, like, okay, it's time to go. And it, what I also have learned as I've gotten older is bedtime is more important then wake up. Wake up because you're right? going to wake yeah. up when you do. The thing you can control is when you go to bed. Sure. But I'm also a night person. And I know. So I've always heard it's the opposite. Is you should go to bed 
you can you can fluctuate on going to bed, but you should always wake up at the same time. How do you control when you wake up? Alarm. I have no alarm. Oh well, you know they made those a few years back. <laughs> I don't no. need one. I just wake <laughs> you just up. Wake up. What time do you wake up? It depends on the day. Five thirty to six thirty. Yeah. Oh my god, just you're waking up early. early. It sucks. I would is love it just to like be asleep. Something yeah. in your brain. You're just like, oh, it's there it is. Time. What did Twitter's? What's trending on Twitter now? You so know. Actually, what I do, I, I have, was going to say, do you check your phone first thing when you wake up? Yeah, I, I'll look and see if anything blew up. But my real ritual is, I just sit on the sofa, see my beautiful dog, and drink coffee with the quiet. Mm. Yeah, it's like just the quiet house, quiet yes. everything, and no, no TV, no computer, just drinking coffee and being chill. It's literally how I start every day. Oh, I love that. That, that I, That's like my morning, too. I'm like, mm. I'm like, I wake up, try to wake up at 7, but that sometimes turns into 8, sometimes turns into 9, yeah. <laughs> 7 p.m. But yeah, it's just the same thing. Like, sit there with my dog, cup, cup of coffee, and just quiet. That's what, it. No what? music. Yeah. No, like, no, I don't, I don't want, like, nothing. I, I just went quiet. I experienced this the other day, because I'm, I'm definitely, I'll get in modes where I just need silence, and, like, my stepson's always like how can you just not have music or TV on or something? I'm like, because I like to think. I just want to take silence and think about, you know, problems I have or how to solve it. But the tables got turned on me the other day when I got home from a trip. I got into an Uber and the guy didn't had nothing, no music, mm-hmm. didn't say a word to me. <laughs> and it was awkwardly silent for about 15 minutes. I was like, oh, this must be what he's talking about. Because I was like... <laughs> Yeah. Weather is crazy, right? Oh, uh, like I just could not stand like being in pure silence with a stranger right. at least, because yeah. that was a little little different for me. But I was like, oh, this must be why kids hate it because it's <laughs> awkward. <laughs> well, I like the chaos and the noise and the music, but I need to start my day on a solid foundation. So, yeah, of just peace. Hell yeah, yeah. you get yeah. a workout in pretty regularly. It, you're it, saying almost every day, but usually not in the morning. Tomorrow morning I will, but if I'm going to work out in the morning, it has to be scheduled the night before. I have a neighbors with a gym in their garage. Oh, that's and awesome. That's actually how I survived the pandemic. Oh, is um, all the shutdowns in the world. I had a, a couple of neighbors who they're a couple, and they were my bubble. My roommate, and them. I didn't even see my sister who lives in town, but they were, and so. Five days a week, I would go into their gym, and he's a former CrossFit trainer and super fit, and she's a coach too, and they just trained me to how to take care of myself, and I'm more fit now than I've ever been. Hell yeah. yeah. Stronger, fitter, healthier, happier. Well, well, I think that's super important for like when I look at somebody that I want to represent me or the city. It's like I want people that care about their their bodies, their their themselves, their mental health. Like I want somebody that. I'm trying to be like as yeah. our leaders, not somebody that's maybe the complete opposite. And I don't know why that when that started, but you know, you you're leading people and giving them a maybe an example to be like. And so you care about your fitness and your sleep and all these things to hopefully bring out the best of you. Right, to be ready when the moment demands. Yeah. And it's like I think more people need to think like that because I could tell you when I've had a workout. When I sweat, if I like, if I have a big day and I have had a chance to work out before, I am sharper, more ready, for sure, able and up to the challenge of the day, and that happens a lot, right? Because I have really good people. And again, when when the pandemic started, I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. I was much softer all around. Yeah, and um, we just like a religious practice every day, spent a little bit of time, and now it's surprising. Like on some of the 
activities we do. I'm the strongest one in the room, which is very surprising. Hmm. Cool. And um, time under tension, just right. going. It's just keeping it up and consistent time under right. tension. And um, I can remember working out in the garage, and there's two sides to the garage. Now there's even more. Long story, but um, he would open the door so we could work out in the fresh air, and and I would be like can we close the door here and open the door here, you know, close the door on the left, which lines up with the workout, but it also lines up with the street. Open the one that doesn't line up with the street because I'm scared. Oh yeah. That people are going to come shoot me. Oh wow. You know, like literally I had to reorganize my life in such a way that it's a feng shui idea where you don't provide an avenue for trouble to find you. Mm. You know, I had to actually get to that level of caution, crime prevention yeah. through environmental design. Yeah. Anyhow, so damn. You know, but together we got through it. Now doors yeah. open, ready to go for well, sure. Even like living that and and like having to think that shit, which sucks. It really sucks that it came to that. Like mm -hmm. that, you know, what whatever side you're on, that sucks. Like that someone is like scared for their life that they're like literally thinking like I this is a line of sight I'm I have to close this door to open this door mm -hmm. that's a really like shitty place to be as a town living and in as Anchorage. a person and uh that sucks um so as a Anchorage citizen uh I could I speak off on behalf of all Anchorage <laughs> we apologize <laughs> uh, it's an honor of my life to do this work yeah you know it's it's been a, an incredible honor. Think about it. The fight we've put up with, we have saved lives. Despite what you hear some people say, tyrants and all of this, waving their yellow stars at us, thinking they're telling us we're being the tyrants. No. Yeah, the yellow star shit, that was... Shocking. That was my, that was my like, holy fuck, this has got on the hand. I mean, because like, uh, you know, I, I told my dad that. You know, we come from Jewish descent too. So it's like, we have some, you know, history and I don't know what that history is, but we have history with these yellow stars. And, uh, so I told him that he's like, and he's on, he's not on my side. Well, he kind of is. I think, he, I mean, he, my, he listens, so we right. can say hi. but I think he's kind of in the middle now, right. but he used to be, you know, very right. And so when I told him that I just, he, you know, he doesn't swear, but my, he said, holy <laughs> mother <laughs> fuck. Yeah. yeah. No, he didn't say that. But like, uh, he, he, he was just shocked. He was just like basically in disbelief, like what? Why would that? Why would? Why is that even a thing? Right. Like why would? What? Like he was dumb, dumbfounded. I can tell you, sitting there in that room at the focus of that conversation, I was also dumbfounded. Yeah. And I never in my life imagined I would see that moment, and there it was. Right. Insane. There it was. Insane to me that even happened. But again, getting back to the main point there, it's that this being in this position, my neighbor's sending me back hopefully next month. It's been an honor of my life mm -hmm. that I was able to be in a position to hold the line and to save lives like at every turn, despite the wild, wild rhetoric that comes from those blogs and the people who post in the comment sections there. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. they're wild. Yeah. Do you they're do you read wild. a lot of... Oh, no. I was going to say, I, I kind of understand that, like, once a level of, I'll say fame, but popularity or something comes that you should stop reading yeah. about yourself. It's not healthy. Right. And I have a system in place where okay. 
people like to report to me what they see. And when it was in the peak of the pandemic, I had to ask people to stop because the There's existential so much. Oh, yeah. was so overwhelming. But I always said, if you think in your reading that there's an actual threat there, mm-hmm. then, then let me share know. it with yeah. me. But anything beyond or below that, if it doesn't feel like an actual threat, then it's not going to help. Right. Damn. And here, here, Kyle and I, like, you know, we're, you know, we, we, we're not getting threats, period. I, we don't I, have my, to. You might Yeah, now. my Google alerts have been pretty <laughs> bare minimum now. lately <laughs> yeah. for my yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, so it's like to even think about the level of like getting to the point of like, uh, like, oh, these threats don't matter, but then there's a line. Right. Like we've never had to live, most people in life have never had to live that. Right. And so it's still just, it's just wild to me. It's crazy that you're like, oh, I'm navigating this and the pandemic at the same time. I had screening systems oh, and yeah. I have, I still have people in all of those places that keep very close eyes for me. And I'm grateful to those people. You're like little finger, you got little birds. And they, but they have learned what's, what's important and what's keep to themselves. And I always tell folks, if you feel like you see something that needs to be shared, always get the link. Don't just take the screen cap right. because the link is the tool that your friends in law enforcement will follow mm. to find IP the addresses, facts. all that. Yeah. Right. And so that's, what's important. If you're going to do that is not just the screen cap, because once you have a disembodied screen cap, Right, it, it can be edited, anything like anything. that. Yeah, get yeah, yeah. the source, and so that's my pro tip to those who want to help provide. And if you're a bad guy, security. ignore that tip. No, okay. there's nothing you can do to yeah. hide it if you're out there doing <laughs> yeah. it. So just keep the receipts. And uh, there are many good people out there who are good at that, and they love that job. Yeah, yeah. don't mess with cats. Did you watch that one? Oh, <laughs> oh my god, was that? Yeah, no, it wasn't mess. Yeah, yeah. don't uh, fuck with cats. Yeah, yeah. Kyle doesn't swear. I doesn't really swear that. I one. don't. But no. that was a great one in terms of people like digging into mm-hmm. uh, people posting videos online mm-hmm. and then oh, the power of the internet. I know. Oh, yeah. look at that, you know, outlet. That looks like a European outlet. Mm-hmm. And then or the where doorknob. is this? About? I know. It's like oh, insane what online sleuths can yeah. find out for you these days. No, that, absolutely true. That's a good segue, Kyle. And I don't know if you <laughs> meant to do that, but like when you do unwind, what what is that thing do you watch tv now you know i i didn't mean to compare you to little finger that's okay. just fyi yeah, like okay. for the people listening uh um, wait we could talk about george martin I, well that's the thing i was like because yeah. we talked about that before we started recording and then you know that's where my brain was and so my thing was to say like you have little birds I, people people talk <laughs> people, people talk to you people yeah, talk yeah. to you and i'm grateful for them yeah um so yeah what do you do to unwind after all this fucking shit <laughs> <laughs> so i go to the gym like regularly. Yeah, yeah. And I do watch some shows on various streaming What are you channels. watching right now? Um, what am I watching right now? The Mandalorian just started. I'm very excited yeah, about I it. Watched that. I watched that episode And The one Bad yesterday. Batch just finishing up that series. So which, which one? The Bad Batch. It's I like, haven't watched that yet. Oh, yeah. It's, they're all part of this. The this Clone story. Wars. Yeah. Yep. And, um, Trying to think just of nerded. I we know. Just, we just out nerded. You Kyle. just lost me. You know? <laughs> no, Kyle's like Clone Wars. Yeah, I'm. What, I'm about to start Your Honor season two. Yeah, I don't know. Brian that one. Cranston, where he's the judge. Nice. Really good. I've never heard of that. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, we're, no. we're, I guess yeah. Nerd nerd shit is where I'm at. True crimes for me. Mandalorian, yeah, I do some Marvel. of that. Yeah. I do some of that. Yeah. Um. You know, just as I warned you before the show, as soon as I try to think about these Those, things, it just yeah. slips right out of my brain. That's okay. Um. I. I have 
pretty diverse and interesting tastes. I don't know. I watch a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I also am a fan of cannabis. And uh, so I'm not a big drinker. Right. I don't think, I think maybe one person in this town has seen me drunk. One. And um, nobody else. What? And so it's funny. you Ditto. Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, me too. So it's, but for me, it's like an yeah. aperitif at the end of the day at home. Yeah. You know, it's just, or not aperitif, digestif, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I walk my dog. I walk my dog. I read. I watch some shows. And I hang out with my neighbors and lift heavy yeah, was, weights. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, do you feel like your brain is kind of at, like, you, I think you even said this beforehand, but like kind of at capacity mm -hmm. to some extent. Because I go through periods where I just feel like I can't fit any new stuff in. And then, you know, a week later, stuff will calm down. I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to consume some more media or books or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's been points where I'm like, I can't even, uh, I'm, I'm overstimulated. Like, right. So the assembly keeps you on a very steady diet of information. Yeah. And it's rigorous, it's frequent, and it's demanding. Mm. And before I came on the assembly, I had 2020 vision. And now I have to have glasses to read because I've read so much in the last six years. Mm. I'm always reading that and trying to process what's going on and trying to square the circle challenges of all of these problems we have in this city. How to tackle issues of homelessness. How are we going to rebuild this port right here? How are we going to figure out how to undo the road policies that have created neighborhoods of poverty in our town that are isolated islands that shouldn't be like that, that, mm. you know, people just throw away in their minds, but people actually live there. How are we going to solve mm. these problems that are the problems of our day? And so every week or every two weeks, we go through this cycle in the policy work where you have to read and be ready to discuss all of these issues. Dude, that's why I could never do it. Yeah. I There will be like, even today. Guys, I, was, I didn't read a thing. <laughs> I'm just going to be up front. Well, I mean, I, I, I was just reading my book today. and I, Some I, people do that. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. They, Sorry. Well, no, it's okay. But I'm just saying like, there's times where I'll like read two pages and then I'll be like, I was fucking thinking about dinner the whole goddamn two pages. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I need to go back and read the two pages. So reading for my job yeah. <laughs> never happened. Can we do like a substitute, like a, a where we come in for a day? Yeah. We'll be on the video. assembly. I would I'll be happy video. to have you guys come shadow for a day. Yeah. Oh, that would actually be fun. Yeah, where you could, could see we, the work. You could see what the process. We can make a little video about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. that's actually not a bad that idea. That would be fun. Mm -hmm. I think, guys, only... I didn't read a thing. By the way, somebody's gonna have to fill me in on everything. Uh, Stephen Corfield here. I <laughs> yeah. uh, just wanted to say, Ready did to not go. read shit. <laughs> <laughs> didn't read so, shit. Yeah, yeah. There are those people, you know, but um, we they just they're rooted. They're just sitting there. Yeah, you know, it happens. And everybody fact, knows they there, are. There is a member who recently moved to Juno, who, <laughs> you know. They used to get a binder and paper, like, and the binder would we're never. Not gonna, we're not going to say names. Never, never be open, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, never once, like, there were weeks after weeks after weeks where the only inputs were those that came from someone else saying, "Do this or do that." Yeah, as opposed huh. to doing the work, and the oh, work is understanding the question and being prepared to respond and having an opinion based on your own power of reason, as opposed to the political opinion of somebody who's coming with a ideological pursuit. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, how long would it take for you to realize? But, I mean, everybody probably knows who's done the the work and not done the work. Right. 
Well, uh, and when you have a good team, that's like why this assembly was successful is there's one fuel that really is the best fuel of them all for making policy, and that's trust. Oh. And so... I was going to say revenge. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. It might be fuel satisfying. Is <laughs> I see I'm in a room full of Sith. No, um, it's trust. Yeah. And so, like, there are more issues than you could master in one of those binders. Mm -hmm. And so you have people who are subject matter experts, and you trust their judgment, and you ask them your questions. And if they answer your questions in a way that you can understand, then you can make a decision in a much easier way. Right. And so, and that's why it's, it's beauty that it's a 12-person team because the body of work is vast and it mm. takes all 12 functioning as a team as much as possible. Some people use the word team and don't understand what it actually means, but most of us do. And so, you know, I, I say this quite a bit. This has been one of my stumps out there for this go-round that it doesn't matter what the issue is, that as long as you agree on how you make a decision, you can always get to the other side of the decision. Sure. Right? That good faith in the process, the how, is how you get to the what mm -hmm. in a way that at the end of the day, you could still go drink a kombucha mm -hmm. with your peers, even if you disagree with them. Right. right? And so I am very proud to say that we have new conservative members who... I can actually have a conversation with and we could get things yeah. done and I will help them because they're good people. We may disagree on fundamental issues, but the world is not so divided in most places that you can't work together. See, and that and that's something I love that even you're saying because even with this podcast, because like there's been some people that were like, you know, uh, on different sides than us. And, you know, we'd be like, well, yeah, we'd have them on the podcast. Like, I think that is pretty um awesome to like say like hey we're gonna have a discussion like we disagree clearly we're on different you know like north pole south pole but like if we can come and have a discussion and like show that like this can actually happen and like this can actually like you know be beneficial for people like if we can <laughs> clearly if we can so can you, mm -hmm. you know, instead of like always just approaching it from a divisive. My and, team, your team kind of thing. Yeah. And I and, think, and with no basis. And that was our experience for the last three years. One of the members, there's just no basis to the opposition. It was just opposition yeah. based on ideology. Right. But then again, someone new follows her in and um, they have proven time and time again that they're willing to look at the issues. And I tell you what happens when you use this brain you were given yeah. and the power of reason, the decisions get a lot easier because it isn't the star-bellied sneeches and the no star-bellied sneeches. It's what's the issue and how are we going to tackle it? Right. That's that's a much better paradigm to live in. See, and, I, I love that. You're coming together as a team mm -hmm. instead of uh, coming together and and fighting to yeah. the zero sum. Wasting, wasting everybody's time we should try that more Stephen. we should no, try to come I, together I, I, I as a team so. i don't think so that'll never <laughs> happen never happen i'm here uh, for that yeah anyway um well you know so we always wrap this up by saying kind of like asking the question like what what's next for you i mean so you of course you got a, a re-election coming up but you know Further what? down the road. Right. Assuming I'm reelected. Yeah, well... 36 months from now, what am I going to be up to? Yeah. And there are two conversations that I'm in. Neither of them are really financially the best ideas in terms of, you know, generating and, and storing wealth. But 
in terms CrossFit of CrossFit coach. Yeah, no, damn, that's not it. No, no, no. Um, you know, CrossFit. I love the workouts with my friends there, former CrossFit trainers. But it's like a religion, and I'm not a very religious person. Yeah. But I, I do like the camaraderie and the the bonding and the activities and the supportiveness and all of that. But still. which is which is funny because this shirt, ladies and gentlemen, it says "Love is my religion." Absolutely. Amen. And um, so two things: one more practical than the other. So the first thing I'm exploring right now, business planning, the idea of starting a small camper van rental business that uh, would be maybe five or six vehicles that could help people get out in Alaska. And so, and that's not a new business, but we have some ideas on how to make it kind of a new model. Like a uh, refurbished inside, modernized, yeah. kind of like... Well, like not refurbished, like new, like beautiful, like gotcha. you know, sprinter van that you could live in. Yes, and go okay, and yeah. Take, Where it's like a kitchen. Yeah, and, everything. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, but just not refurbished, like new. Yeah. Um, and I then, apparently don't know what refurbished Yeah, means. no, that's okay. Refurb to me is like 100,000, 200,000 miles and you start over. But uh, no, like nice setup. That's a business I'm looking into because... Cool. That's dope. It just, maybe it'd be better for a while to be in the game of joy and, you know, <laughs> instead of always in the fight. Yeah. So, and the other thing, and this is a conversation I'm having with my friend Grant. He's a dear friend and ally and in some ways a mentor and brother and... um He's from Hawaii, lived here for a long time. And both of us have conversations a lot about what's breaking down in our society and how people are losing the ability to build bridges and talk to each other across lines that are seeming to become more and more concrete and divided instead of how they should be, which is kind of figuring out how to get over those hurdles and find some sense of unity. And so... Uh, what comes to mind is the relationship between Ted Stevens and Daniel Inouye. I don't know if you know kind of those stories. So Ted Stevens, senator for Alaska for a long time, Republican, well-known conservative. Daniel Inouye was the senator for Hawaii. And um, both Ted and Daniel served in World War II, and they were brothers. One was a Democrat and one was a Republican. Hmm. And partisan, yes. Belief in their party's values, yes. But at the end of the day, they were brothers and they had each other's back. And so in that time when Ted was the Alaska senator and Daniel was Hawaii senator, it didn't matter who was in power in Washington because whenever there was a switch, they had each other's back. Mm -hmm. Alaska always had a senator in power and Hawaii always had a senator in power. And so the conversation we're talking about is some kind of a national conversation about how to reestablish brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, ability to work together across lines and have each other's backs when we might have differences of opinions that are profoundly different. And so the idea there is to explore some kind of a conversation nationally that helps to build those bridges. Hmm. What is that? When you say build a conversation nationally, nationally, what does that look like? What do you mean? That's the that's the thing that we're sorting through right now. Part of it will be fundraising. It will be a foundation of some kind to actually get messages out there. It could be uh, dialogues across the country. It could be finding the most polarized people in the most polarized places and try and find mm -hmm. ways to build bridges and see if you could think about reality show for becoming friends. I was going to say like a dating app you know, for matching two people together. Who are willing. And yeah. there are conversations like that happening, right? But to put it in a framework of 
political policy. It's, right. it's a different thing. And so, but we don't know. And that's why I said it's more abstract and less concrete and measurable at this point than the idea of the hmm. RV business. But practically, I'm not sure. 36 yeah. months is like tomorrow, but it's a long time as well. Right. And my current challenge is to ensure on April the 4th at 8 p.m., more of my neighbors say yes to me than my opponent. And once that happens, then that conversation begins. But also, as I said earlier, I have another duty, and that is to help identify and train one or more potential replacements for me, you know, and that they're out there. Yeah. And it's chance we'll have someone will fill that role with or without interference. But still, I have a duty, I think, to be building for the future. Yeah. I love that. And I lo- I, I think that's a um, a great way kind of to end it on the podcast because I think that's, you're very future focused. Now, you're also very present focused, but I mean, as far as like you're thinking already several steps ahead, how so, is this going to affect us in the long run? You know, there's that old saying about living the dream. Some of us have to dream the dream. Yeah. It's true. I'm always living the dream. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, and then you got to build it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that is that's the thing that that takes the I, work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the execution. Um, but hey, man. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, we appreciate you. I know it's late, uh, and I know you know this is a. Uh, a little different, so we appreciate you. Like yeah, he's spending a night time. owl. He's gonna wake up here in about seven hours. <laughs> yes. yeah. But spending, but spending time. <laughs> that is the ugly truth, right that, there. <laughs> out of your very, very busy schedule and carving some time out to talk to us and and kind of inform us on on what you're going through and what you're doing and what you're working on. We're very excited. We're cheering you on. We're we're staying on the sidelines and 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 looking from the outside in, and we're excited. What we're you know watching. Um, and what you're doing. And so thank you for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Kyle and Steven will be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, check out gofixyourselfpodcast.com and remember to always go fix yourself.